The book of the prophet Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. It's a mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So first, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham, who with Sarah had their son Isaac, who with his wife Rebecca had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. Now, right when you think you're going to hear more about how Edom will meet its doom, the topic suddenly shifts in verse 15. We hear this, the day of the Lord is near against all nations. Now, why do we all of a sudden shift from Edom now to all nations? This first is a hinge piece, and it links the first half of the book to the second half, where Obadiah announces the day of the Lord, but not only for Edom, he widens his focus to include all nations. And Obadiah says that all prideful nations that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way. They'll fall from their prideful heights and come to ruin. Now, the combination of these two sections, one about Edom, the other about all nations, shows us why Obadiah was so interested in this tiny southern neighbor of Israel. Obadiah sees Edom's pride and fall as an example, an image of how God will one day confront the pride of all nations and bring about their fall too. It's hardly coincidental that in Hebrew, the word Edom or Edom is spelled with the exact same letters as the word humanity or in Hebrew, Adam. In Obadiah, Edom's rise and fall is a parable of how God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among all nations in the day of the Lord. But as in all the prophets, God's judgment is never his final word. Specifically, remember the conclusion of the two books that came right before Obadiah, Joel and Amos. Joel had painted a picture of what will happen after the day of the Lord against all nations. He said that God would perform a new act of salvation in Jerusalem and that all who humbled themselves and called upon him would be delivered. And in the conclusion of Amos, he said that after the day of the Lord has judged Israel's evil, God would raise up the house of David and build a new kingdom for Israel that would include Edom and all the nations called by my name. 
And so the book of Obadiah has been placed right after Joel and then Amos to expand on these very promises about the hope of God's kingdom over all of the nations. And so the book concludes with a very hopeful future. God says he's going to restore his kingdom over the new Jerusalem, that he'll repopulate it with a faithful remnant. And then from there, God's kingdom will expand to include all the territory and nations around Israel. And so this little book contributes to the larger portrait of God's justice and faithfulness that we're seeing in the prophets. The ancient pride and betrayal of the people of Edom becomes an example of the greater human condition, all of the ways that we betray and hurt each other and God's good world. But there's hope, Obadiah says. Edom's downfall points to the day when God will deal with evil in our world, but also bring his healing kingdom of peace over all the nations. And that's what the book of Obadiah is all about. All right, so as we <clears throat> look at chapters 34 and 35, let's actually um, dive into those. Um, so, I'm going to, to screen share again, um, but for the purpose of reading these. Um, so this is the Isaiah Explained website. This one's a uh, uh, this one's a lot less confusing and, and challenging uh, than the Isaiah Explorer website. So IsaiahExplained.com has four main parts. You can look at the uh, Avraham's translation or you can look at it directly uh, across from the King James Version uh, or the Hebrew, if you know the Masoretic there. And you can also look at the apocalyptic commentary here. So it gives you a few verses and then gives you Avraham's commentary, or it gives you a link over here on the side where you can actually listen to Avraham's commentary. Um, so I find those very helpful. I listen to those constantly throughout the week. Um, and then the fourth part is the interactive concordance, which is more, it's more advanced. So you start looking up word links, etc., um, and can compare those words throughout Isaiah. So for this class, I'm going to start using the comparative translations so that we can all kind of get used to those. Um, so here we're going to be looking at the King James Version versus the Isaiah Institute translation of chapter 34. So if I could uh, get a, let's see, how long is this? We got like 20 verses. So uh, a couple of volunteers to, to read 10 verses or so each. Um, and if you could actually use the, the raise your hand feature in uh, here so that I, it pops up because when I'm sharing the screen, I can't see everybody's faces all at once. And so um, anyway, so uh, Shamala and uh, get another volunteer. I can read it too, if nothing. Um, and uh, Alethea. So Shamala verses 1 through 10, and then Alethea 11 through the end there. So I'm going to have it here on the screen, or uh, you're more than welcome to, to use whichever version you've got handy uh, there in person as well. Okay. Um, starting in the verse, or oh, sorry, chapter 34, verse 1. Come near you nations and hear. Pay attention, you peoples. Let the earth give heat and all who are upon it, the world and all who spring from it. The Lord's rage is upon all nations, his fury upon all their hosts. He has doomed them, consigned them to the slaughter. 
their slain shall be flung out and their corpses emit a stench. Their blood shall, their blood shall dissolve on the mountains, their fat decompose on the hills. When the heavens are rolled up as a scroll and their starry hosts shed themselves with one accord, like withered leaves from a vine or shriveled fruit from a fig tree. When my sword drinks its fill in the heavens, it shall come down on Edom in judgment. On the people I have sentenced to damnation, the Lord has a sword that shall engorge with blood and glut itself with fat, the blood of lambs and he goats, the kidney fat of rams. For the Lord will hold a slaughter in Basra, an immense massacre in the land of Edom. Among them shall fall bison, bulls, and steers. Their land shall be saturated with blood, their soil enriched with fat. For it is the Lord's day of vengeance, the year of retribution on behalf of Zion. Edom's streams shall turn into lava and her earth into brimstone. Her land shall become as burning pitch, night and day, it shall not be quenched. Its smoke shall ascend forever. It shall remain a wasteland from generation to generation. Through endless ages, none shall traverse it. But hawks and falcons shall possess it, and owls and ravens inhabit it. It shall be surveyed with muddled measure and chaotic weight. Shall they summon its nobles when it is no kingdom, when all its lords no longer exist? For thorns shall overgrow its palaces, thistles and briars its strongholds. It shall become the haunt of howling creatures, a reserve for birds of prey. Prairie wolves shall greet jackals and wild goats call to one another. There too shall the night owl find repose and discover for herself a resting place. There shall the hawk owl nest and lay eggs, hatch them and brood over her young. There too shall kites come together, each one accompanying her mate. Search and read it in the book of Jehovah. None is accounted for, not one lacks her mate. By his mouth he decreed it, by his spirit he brings them together. It is he who allots them an inheritance, his hand that divides it by measure. They shall possess it forever, inhabit it from generation to generation. All right. So what does all that mean? <laughs> we got a lot of interesting things here. So um, just a couple things to, to point out. We have the, the nation of Edom being referenced here, and the capital city of Edom is Basra, as mentioned there in uh, verse 6. It, it throws in that Basra, and I, I had no idea what it was, and so I had to go look it up. That's the, the capital city of Edom. Um. So yeah, any comments, any questions? Where where do we go with that chapter? How does it fit into um, this ruin and rebirth theme that we've got going on from last week and this week? Any thoughts? Um, let me pull up a quick slide. Oh, yeah, Cindy, raise your hand. Sorry, in this view, I sometimes have a hard time seeing hands. There you go. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Um, just what I got out of it was just the, I don't know how to, just, uh, you know, the horribleness that's going to happen. Um, and I, I liked how when, when I was listening to what he was explaining, when he was 
saying all those animals that were on there, um, he was saying that they were all clean animals. So they were all uh, good people, members, well, members of the church anyway, because they were, they were all clean animals and not, you know, unclean animals. And so it's talking about the destruction of, you know, those members of the church that maybe aren't making the right choices. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, and then I loved at the end how it all comes together and, um, you know, each one accompanying her mate uh, and they'll, he brings them together with their spirit. So, you know, everyone who doesn't have a mate will have one and they'll be brought together by the spirit of the Lord, which I thought was a really beautiful thing. So yeah, the the destruction and then the rise up and the 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 beautiful glory of of all those that keep the commandments. So yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um. So I've kind of, cause you guys know that I'm a chart person. I like to look at charts and and see how things fit together. So here we have. Isaiah's Ruin and Rebirth. So these are the chapter headings taken from the Isaiah Institute. And so um, one of the, the major things that we get out of this whole section is that in the first part, Isaiah 1 through 5, we're talking about national ruin, like the Israelites are the ones that have been disobeying and have ruined themselves uh, in the covenant. But yet there's a universal rebirth then in the second part, Isaiah 34 through 35, it flip-flops that. And so it's a universal ruin. So now the Edomites, or the ones that are um, not covenant Israel, are experiencing the ruin and will have a national rebirth where um, the, the covenant people will return and, and keep their covenants again, re renew and, and uh, receive the covenantal blessings. And so... Um, as we've kind of got these uh, chapter headings here uh, to look at, do we see it happening? Uh, do we see national ruin in the first part, the, those first five chapters and universal rebirth? And then do we see it uh, flip-flop uh, in, in the next part? So I'm just gonna kind of read those real quick. Um, chapter one says that Israel's ancient apostasy typifies an end time apostasy with salvation reserved for some who repent the end time restoration of Zion slash Jerusalem contrasts Jehovah's judgment of the world that is coming. Wickedness in society leads to anarchy, internal collapse, destitution, and invasion by enemies. In his day of judgment, Jehovah preserves alive those whose names are inscribed in the book of life. And then Jehovah's vineyard yields bad fruit, leading to a serious invasion and covenantal curses on offenders. And then, so the flip side of it, the nations, or Edom, are slaughtered and their lands laid waste in Jehovah's day of vengeance on behalf of Zion. And then 35 is the message of hope here. At the new exodus to Zion, the righteous regenerate and the desert blooms heralding Jehovah's coming. So as we uh, now dive into uh, chapter 35, let's, let's see about this rebirth, what that entails. We've got too many screens here I'm sharing. <laughs> I kind of get confused back and forth. All right, so Isaiah 35. Wilderness and arid land shall be jubilant. The desert shall rejoice when it blossoms like the crocus. 
joyously it shall break out in flowers, singing with delight. It shall be endowed with the glory of Lebanon, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. The glory of Jehovah and the splendor of our God, they shall see there. Strengthen the hands grown feeble, steady the failing knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, take courage, be unafraid. See your God is coming to avenge and to reward. God himself will come and deliver you. Then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame leap like deer and the tongue of the dim, dumb shout for joy. Water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams flow in the desert. The land of mirages shall become one of lakes, a thirsty place, springs of water. In the haunt of hollow creatures shall marshes break out. In the reserves shall come rushes and reeds. There shall be highways and roads which shall be called the way of holiness for they shall be for such as are holy. The unclean shall not traverse them. On them shall no reprobates wander. No lion shall be encountered there, nor shall wild beasts intrude, but the redeemed shall walk them. The ransomed of Jehovah shall return. They shall come singing to Zion, their, their heads crowned with everlasting joy. They shall have one joy and gladness when sorrow and sighing flee away. So, that sounds like a message of hope if I've ever heard one, that <laughs> this, this rebirth is possible. Uh, if we're contrasting chapters one and two, I mean, these are some awful uh, curses to, to be suffering from, from this ruin, right? But God loves his people. He provides a way that they can be reborn if they'll just keep the commandments, if they'll, they'll turn to him. Uh, really, we have two main commandments, right? Love the Lord thy God and love our neighbor. And, and everything flows from those. Um, and, and look at the great blessings that, that can come from that. Um, what are your all's thoughts and takeaways from, from uh, this first section on, on rebirth and, and ruin, etc.? Or And Aletheia, whatever you got, too. <laughs> I'm just posing questions. Anyone's free to talk on whatever. No, no, no. So my sister's been wanting to join us, but she's on the East Coast and it's been kind of hard for her to come. But she messaged me today when she was studying Isaiah 35 and I wanted to share what she said. Um, I noticed it was in verse eight when it talks about the highway of holiness. And she said the word for this in Hebrew literally translates to set apart from or to distinguish as special. Sounds like what happens when we receive a calling or a mission. We are set apart and blessed to fulfill the mission that is required of us. The highway is the road that the saints will walk upon to get to Zion. It sounds like to me, it will be a calling to travel to Zion, that we will be set apart to fulfill that mission and give a mantle to complete the mission or calling. So just throwing that out there to see what you guys think. Yeah, those are some awesome insights. Um, We need your... We need your sister to time travel so that she can come to this class and not be in bed. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> she's um she's widowed and she has four children still at home, so it's hard for her to come. So, but she wants to and she studied, but I noticed she's not here tonight. But I don't know. I thought that was super interesting when she said that. And she actually um, last year she said to me, she'd call me every day. This is what I studied in Isaiah. And I said, why are you studying Isaiah? She goes, I don't know. The Lord just keeps telling me to study Isaiah. And now she's like, now some things have happened. And she's like, now I know why the Lord told me to study. So anyway, so she loves Isaiah so much. And she always has really good insights. So 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. I love that part where she's talking, like, the the way of holiness, the actual road back to Zion, out of the wilderness, going there. I, I think that that's, that's huge. I hadn't, uh, you know, I we're talking in uh, some generalities, some specifics, some, some symbolic things, but that one just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I love that one. Um, does anyone else have a comment specifically on, on that question that they'd like to address? If not, we'll go to, to Shamu. Yeah. yeah, go for it. Thank you. Um, for me, I don't know, picturing a highway, I, I still see all of the ruin right next to the highway. I picture people going through on the interstate or whatever it's going to look like. And there's literally ruin on every side, but that these blessed people who have done, who have basically traveled through all of that ruin because they've qualified for this, they've earned it. It's not just because they come across it by circumstance or happenstance, if that's, that's not even a word, but, um, but they've earned it. They've qualified by going through literal hell in order to make it to these roads. Um, and that, for me, at least, I put myself in those shoes and I imagine how difficult in some ways it would be to see the ruin on both sides and be joyous in the middle. But there's something that stood out. Um, I think, let's see, verse three. And four, <laughs> and that's what makes it simpler. It, it says, strengthen the hands of the feeble and steady the failing knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, take courage and be unafraid. So I think what makes them um, be able to rejoice even through all of this is that they're preaching as they go. They're not just journeying towards Zion. I don't know, with an eye single to that and letting everyone pass by the wayside, but they're they're strengthening people as they go along and they're doing what they can to serve and to help and to bless and to lift the people and to preach of God. I don't know, and build their testimonies and the testimonies of others as they're going. It's almost like if the pioneers were missionaries everywhere they went, that's yeah. kind of what I see. So I, I don't know, that was super cool to me. Highways of missionaries in this blessed, glorious light of the Lord. Uh-huh. I, I love that because, um, you know, anytime that we're receiving blessings from the Lord, uh, higher ones, especially holy ones like this highway here, it's never just for our own personal uh, thing or, you know, uh, just to, to hoard. It, it's always to to reach out. We're always given gifts or blessings in order to share them, you know, the, the parable of talents and lots of different things. But, you know, of course we would be uh, doing it. Look at uh, the journey of Abraham that we all took that, um, you know, it, he picks up and moves himself every time that, that the missionary endeavors kind of dry up that, okay, I got to move somewhere so that I can do more missionary work. You know, he's, he's always positioning himself um, so that he can further bless. Uh, it's never myopic or, or, or self-centered in any way. I love that. Yeah, thank you. So, I don't know, I'm kind of pulling back from What's your sister's name, Alethea? Sasha? Sasha, yeah. And I actually have something else that one of our kids had a question in our Zoom meeting on Sunday nights, and I knew that she would have an answer. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And so I asked her to email me and I actually just read this again the other day. And I just think it's such a good insight. Um, let's see, oh shoot. Um, she talked about, and she said it in such a good way and I didn't explain it very well, but she said um, that what we need to do is if not serve more, but find out what the enmity is between us and God that we don't want to serve. And she talked about, yeah, like everything that we're doing, we don't need, it's not like we need to study our scriptures more. We need to find out what the enmity is that we don't want to study the scriptures and repent of that. And I just, oh, here it is. Pain is not what we should be seeking to avoid. It is enmity with God that we should be seeking to avoid. It is only through the obedience of the two great commandments that will ensure peace in this life. Even as we struggle through the ups and downs that may hinder our path, don't seek to have more faith or trust in Heavenly Father. Seek to eliminate the enmity between you that is causing the distrust or lack of faith in him. Don't seek for ways to serve him greater or to profess your love for him. Seek to love him so much you can't help but serve him. Even in your relationships, don't seek to make your wife happy. Seek to eliminate the enmity between you. So even when you do those annoying things, she can't help but smile. And then she just said, well, you get the idea. Keep your eye on the finish line and not your progress. So I thought that kind of went along with what you were talking about was, um, you know, and, and the whole, this whole part of Isaiah is how, at least for me, I was thinking, how, how do we get to be that person, you know, and, and we talked about it all last time in our, in our um, decoding Isaiah, how do we become, how do we ascend, how do we, and I think that's part of the key right there is eliminating the enmity, and I had never thought of it that way, it's, you know, thinking more like, I just need to be better. I just need to do more. And it's not that it's more repenting and, and then finding out what the enmity and, and repenting of the enmity. And then we become who we need to become. Very Can I dovetail off of that? Yeah, for sure. Um, then that reminded me of, I think it's Ted Callister's talk about pride, how pride is enmity with God. And so when you said that instantly, I was thinking pride and that can manifest in so many different ways, whether it's keeping us from reading the Book of Mormon or doing our ministering or saying you're sorry to somebody or accepting um, somebody for the way they are. It's usually pride. And I don't know, that just really spoke to me. So that thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and L asked if um, that if you could share that to the group. Um, but yeah, awesome. And then Stefan. Yeah, thanks. Um, so when you were talking about that, Alethea, I was thinking about what our current prophet has told us about letting God prevail. And I think it all kind of fits together because you can't let God prevail if there's enmity there, right? I, you, you just have to be able to, to uh, have faith and be able to um, 
go forward knowing that the best road is is to follow God and to do whatever it takes, even though sometimes uh, for our stubbornness, we don't seem to want to at times, right? Mm -hmm. That's actually what she titled her email to me was uh, let God prevail. So yes. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I love just like new insights, new paradigms to, to look at something and just you know, sometimes we get um, kind of focused in in our prayers, even though we're we're trying really hard to uh, to pray correctly. Sometimes we don't receive the answers that we're expecting or wanting and stuff. And I think that it has a lot to do with that. Sometimes we're we're not focused on the the correct thing. We need to focus on the entity that that might be there, kind of to uh, to help make progress in in our efforts. Um, one of the things I was listening to with Avraham today, he was talking about um, how, oh, my thoughts just went weird. Okay, so how the spirit can never testify of an untruth and uh, that often we try to, to ascribe um, discernment and, and things to, uh, to the spirit. And because if we have uh, a lack of, uh, a confirming witness on something, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, our gift of discernment is off, but it might be that, um, that, that the spirit is not testifying of a truth because um, it's mixed with a precept at the same time kind of thing. And um, I don't know, that just kept coming to mind as you were talking about this, this enmity principle and everything. It was like, oh, if I can take that principle that I learned from Avaham today and, and pair it with this over here, like, oh, that's exactly what I'm missing when I'm praying for this specific thing. Um, anyway, I don't know. That was kind of convoluted, but <laughs> uh, that, that really spoke to me. I got my, my wheels turning. <laughs> um, so on this whole principle of ruin and rebirth and um, what we are studying here with the bifid structure, um, it, it there's a line from from Abraham here in this chapter that that really kind of pulls it together. It says that in part one of the Bifid structure, meaning ruin and rebirth, is it's unique in that its concepts are nowhere recurring in the form of parallel or antithetical motifs or as the thrust of the entire material. On the other hand, all concepts of the Bifid structure, so each of the weeks that we're going to be going through, when they are developed, they're developed cumulatively in nature. Once they are established, they are maintained throughout the remainder of the book. And so um, ruin and rebirth is just kind of this foundation that we need to lay before we start developing these other ideas. Uh, as we'll see next week with the story of Ahaz and the uh, week after that with the story of Hezekiah, if we didn't have a proper framework on ruin and rebirth, we wouldn't be able to understand their stories of rebellion and compliance and how those play into the covenant curses and blessings that flow from their um, decisions that they make. And so I think that this is huge that we make sure to understand the, the ruin and rebirth in its proper context so that we can, can then start building upon it because we wanna be these, these wise men that, that build upon a rock, a good solid foundation. Um, 
And so I just reiterate my, my challenge. If you haven't watched those two YouTube videos uh, to, to go and watch those, I will put the, the link here in the chat again. Um, but they, they really start helping me to develop the, the structure uh, behind what Isaiah is going for here with the, the ruin and rebirth. Because um, the, the stories get more complex. We, we start going into Ahaz and Hezekiah, and then we start going into some, some poetry, et cetera. And, and then we get into the end times, which is kind of a convoluted mess if you don't know what you're reading or, or why you're reading it. Um, but through this literary structure, Isaiah just forms this perfect relationship uh, with all of these principles so that we can start ascending the ladder um, to heaven as we, we looked through Isaiah Decoded. Uh, being able to to recognize where we're at. Um, most of us, I'd say, we're on the Zion-Jerusalem level, but higher or lower, that we can start ascending and helping those below us in greater and more fuller ways. Um, anyway, any thoughts, comments, what you got? <laughs> I, I always talk too much, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Jamal. I don't think you talk too much, but maybe it's just because I'm always willing to fill the silence, even though I'm usually really quiet as a person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Me I'm, I'm a shy person, but for right? some reason, <laughs> it just comes out in this kind of a situation, right? Like it doesn't feel normal, but, but I guess it is, at least for us. Um, I think it's important as you were talking right there with the ruin and rebirth, um, it brought to mind again, um, with Isaiah decoded the descension and the ascension that in order for the rebirth to happen almost like with a forest it has to burn down a forest gets too crowded and when I was reading I don't remember which chapter whether it was like four or five or maybe 34 but talking about all of the literal ruin in my mind um, the spirit helped to contrast that with Jacob chapter five and how it was like you know, Jacob chapter five, you get pruned and you get dunged and you get watered and you get um, like dug about. And in Isaiah, it doesn't mention any of that. It says the opposite. You're not going to get water. You're not going to get fertilizer. You're not going to receive any of those things. Um, and for me, that, that was just huge. So I pictured a forest burning completely to the ground where there's nothing left in order for, I don't know, for there to be space, for those beautiful little seedlings to be planted. Um, but along with that, and I don't know who needs to hear this, or if anybody's even on here for a recording five years down the road, I don't know. But the reminder that not only do we have to go through the pain and the struggle of being burned to the ground as we're refined, and the, literally the pain that that causes, but after the pain of the burning is over, then we get buried if we're the little seed we get buried in the dirt in the darkness and and then when the water finally comes we're so parched and so thirsty and the water finally comes and it has to keep us moist for some great amount of time for the seed to finally or for the sprout to finally come through so just to think of the contrast of that blows my mind a little bit to go from the intense burning to pure which is so bright and so light and so hot to intense darkness where likely it's cold and there's just 
you feel so alone. And then to go from the parched dry to the wet so that the seed can finally sprout and then to not know which way is up or down and the confusion that happens. And then to finally through all of that be able to sprout out. And that's not even close to the end, all of the growth that happens in the journey and before you can finally even <laughs> share shade with somebody else next to you. Um, I hope that makes sense. I don't know, I kind of just rambled on a little bit, but just the pain and the agony that goes along with it um, every step of the way, kind of like what Alethea was talking about. It, that's something that's not to be avoided. And the more we can actually face that pain of the descension, the better it is, at least in my experience, I ran from it for a lot of years. And now the more I face it, I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you. Literally, Lord, thank you. That's where, that's where the growth is, is in the burn, in the darkness and feeling like you're drowning or being overwhelmed. And so whoever that's for, I hope it helps because it hurts, but it's totally worth it. Totally worth it in the end. Sure. That was beautiful. Um, I just wanted to make a comment on that. Um, I was in Yellowstone right after, like a couple years after a really big wildfire and the green was coming up against the black and I've never, ever ever seen anything more beautiful than that bright green with a black background it was breathtaking because it's just like a bright lime green against black it's just amazing so i want thank you so much yeah you and that's what i was going to say is really i've watched my little sister descend so much in her life. She's gone through so much dissension that it's just overwhelming. And yet um, she is, she's let God prevail in her life and, and it sustained her and, and, and it's still difficult for her. Things are still, you know, her physical body and things like that are still difficult for her um, with the stress and all of that. But the stories that she has of letting God prevail and just walking in the darkness um, and not knowing how you're going to succeed. And I'll just share one quick story that she said she had left an abusive marriage and she had to drive the children a thousand miles one way to go spend the summer with their dad. And when she left, uh, she had $25 in her bank account and half a tank of gas. And she didn't know how she was going to get there. Um, and as she was walking out the door, a ward member walked up and said, I just had this impression that you needed this hundred dollars more than me. And then he left so that she couldn't say, so that she couldn't say, um, you know, no, thank you or whatever. And so then she went on and she was perfectly willing to, um, spend the night on the side of the road in the van with the four kids. And one of them was a baby. And um, then something miraculous happened with my mom and she got twice back what she anticipated from the IRS. And my mom just called her up out of the blue and said, I have a thousand dollars I didn't anticipate getting. I think you need it more than me. And she had to drive 2000 miles round trip. And she said, as I stepped in the darkness, then heavenly father provided. And I think that's She's such an example of doing that because how, you know, she could have made excuses or she could have 
whatever. She didn't even ask anyone for help. She just relied on heavenly father and, and she let him prevail. Thank you. Yeah, some amazing stories out there, yeah. Uh, Stefan. Uh, thanks. So, uh, Shamal, I really appreciated what you said. As you were saying that, I was thinking about the earth and everything that it goes through. And the fact that it's going to be fired at the very last days. And that it will become uh, our celestial kingdom, right? I see a glass almost, as, as it says. And then I just love the way that Isaiah saw our day in chapters four and five. Chapter four, you know, where he calls evil good and good evil. And then he talked about the wise, that they think they're wise in their own eyes. And then he describes our day and age perfectly where in verse 33, 23, sorry, and where he says, which justifies the wicked for reward. Never in my lifetime until maybe this year have I seen that so prevalent in our society that we are rewarding those who are so wicked. And it's just absolutely amazing. How can you read Isaiah and not know it's true? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never studied Isaiah before. And now that I have a, a kind of a framework and, and stuff around it, it's like, whoa, where has this been my whole life? Like I could have, if I would have known this stuff when I was a teenager, I could have avoided so much stupidity. Or as a, a, a young adult, I could have really uh, I gained a lot thereby. Yeah, he, he saw our day. There's no ifs, ands, or buts in my mind, like obviously. Um, uh, in that Bible video that I, I shared, uh, he gives an opinion like, you know, some people think that Isaiah wrote all of this, and then some people think that uh, Isaiah wrote the first part, and then uh, his followers wrote the, the second part. And I'm like, mm, no, uh, only a prophet could, could write this so perfectly, someone who had actually seen it. Like, <laughs> this is the pattern that God shows his prophets takes them up to his presence to show them the, the great vision so that they can can write and forewarn and tell us about this. Um, only a, a perfect God can, can orchestrate something so perfectly and then give that information to a prophet to, to write about. I mean, this is uh, very inspired works. Yeah, yeah go for it. Sorry, uh, did you raise your hand again, Stefan? Yeah, sorry, I forgot to unmute myself. So there's something else in chapter four that really caught my attention as to why we really want to repent uh, versus not wanting to repent and how the law of mercy takes place when you repent. And when you don't repent, the law of justice takes place. And uh, that just made it so clear to me uh, and I don't think I've ever read that anywhere else, but I was going through the, uh, the commentary on Isaiah, and it, it just jumped out at me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And you said that was in chapter four. Yeah, chapter four, verses three and four. Okay, yeah. That spirit of justice. 
Yeah, thank you. And Thank you. Just to go along with what Stefan's saying, and I don't know why it's important to have this reminder because my mind thinks so deep and so complex, and this is the simplest thing, but for each of us to remember that it's our choice, whether it's mercy on one hand or justice on the other, because I've lived by the sword of justice for a long, long time. And I feel like the one who's paid double for my sins because I didn't let the Lord in for so long. Loved him, but didn't let him in. Um, so maybe that reminder is just for me, but that it's truly our choice, which we choose. And it's something that we can choose daily. And that it's so easy, so easy for mercy to wash away all the judgment of the past. And for whatever reason, um, Cameron, when you, when you talked in the very beginning, the two laws that are most important, um, love God and love our neighbor. But what you didn't quite say in that, that for me has been so important because it's my, it was my missing piece is to love ourselves. That was the hardest part. Um, let's love our neighbor as ourselves, And if we don't also love ourselves in some way, it's, it's impossible really to love our neighbors. So to be merciful also on the inside, not just on the outside. And to remember that that's a choice that we can be merciful to us and let those mean, mean, mean things that, I don't know, I'll say you, but this could apply to anyone, but really it applies to me. Um, the mean things that you would say to yourself that you'd never say to anybody else and you'd never allow anyone else to actually repeat to you. Um, letting those things go and letting those wash away with mercy. So maybe I'm getting totally off subject with Isaiah, but letting that mercy come through on the inside first so that as we forgive ourselves, we have better compassion to forgive other people and to let God in. So the talk and conference, I just listened to it again from Gifford Nelson. And that's exactly what he said about those two great commandments. And he said that there's a third commandment, uh, um, you know, implied there, which was to love ourselves. And I remember teaching, uh, you know, listening to the kids in the Sunday school class that I go to once in a while with our ward and just reminding them at the very end of it, you know, you have to forgive yourself. You have to love yourself enough to forgive yourself. Sure. You know, uh, it reminds me of something that Elder Bednar talked about not too long ago. But um, that for some reason, the adversary has really uh, rooted deep uh, in this generation where, oh, it's okay. The, uh, the atonement, of course, applies to everyone around me, but not me. I, I, I'm a little too far gone, or I, I've done this, you know, like, uh, it doesn't quite apply to me. But, oh, yeah, of course it applies to you. Like, it'll help you out in your situation, etc. Um, but for some reason that that self-application is one of the hardest things to, to overcome. And then once you do, like, like Shemuel was saying, then you can fully love your neighbor. Like, yeah, you can, can love them in, in a general sense, but until you can actually love yourself, uh, realize that the atonement applies to you fully, then you can start seeing how it can, can bless the lives of others. You can start seeing them in their progress up and down the ladder and, and really knowing how to help them better, I think. 
uh, I, that's always just stuck with me with uh, Elder Bednar because I, it wasn't until that moment that he said that that I realized that I was suffering from that. It's like, oh yeah, I, I totally, I preach it all the time. Like, yeah, the atonement is great. It applies to you, like all this kind of stuff, but I wasn't including myself in it <laughs> kind of thing. It, it's something that Satan's really good and subtle at in, in this day and age. To, um, if you can just take one person out of, out of that, that divine grace there. Yeah, thank you. So on these lines of loving ourselves, I I don't know where I found this guy. Somebody posted about it in Facebook, but his name is, did I tell you guys about him? Uh, Ralph Verlin Jensen, I think. Um, his YouTube channel is called Taught by Christ, but he's like the grandpa everybody wants to have or the dad, you know, whatever. And he had a near-death experience in... Um, the early 2000s, and he's just now started this YouTube channel to um, share little vignettes about 15 or 20 minutes long about his different experiences. I'm telling you, he talks about this and how much we're loved, but I, I mean, you need to go watch it because these vignettes are just so short, and he talks about so many beautiful teachings of Christ and how much you know, Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ love us. And, um, and it's, and how, how much love there is. I mean, we've heard that before that we just can't even comprehend it. And I just love listening to him. He's LDS. Um, but I don't know, just, I, I look forward to hearing him speak. He's got a book out now, but I look forward to listening to all of his little insights to the savior and the spirit world. And, and he experienced um, different things that happened in this life, such as Gethsemane, such as the crucifixion. He saw Adam and Eve go into the garden of Eden and, and we've talked about them a little bit. So um, you'll learn a lot and about how much that love is and how to find that love for one another. Yeah, thank you. Uh, what was his name again, Ralph something? Yeah, Ralph Verlin Jensen, and it's called, his YouTube channel is called Taught by Christ. Okay. And he always offers a Book of Mormon at the end and says, if you want to get in touch with the missionaries, <laughs> he's so cute. <laughs> he is so cute. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah, he, he's brave to, to put that out there. Sometimes those get shot down, criticized and stuff <laughs> really quickly, but he keeps putting them out and like you said he has a, a book out now with those experiences but when he teaches like he always testifies and that's what like you can't deny that when somebody's testifying and he always ends that every little vignette every little video he puts up he testifies of christ and and you can't argue that so yeah i love it thank you i'll have to look those up I've been uh, listening to, I purchased Avraham Gileadi's uh, 24 week lecture series on uh, near death experiences and, and things like that and how they relate to Isaiah, trying to see it from that perspective. And oh man, those are <laughs> so crazy how much they tie into to, to scriptures in so many different little ways and intricacies and um, start helping to unlock Isaiah in, in different paradigm shifts. Um, I found that uh, interesting side thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to take Isaiah and look at it from 
every possible angle and, and listen and learn and glean because this is my first time through and I want to make use of it. <laughs> so yeah, I'm currently diving into to some of that kind of stuff. I'm just, I want to be in his mind. I know that the Lord gave him these visions and he saw all this, but to put so much depth into the words and into the scriptures that it takes one man, his lifetime to study, you know, and mm -hmm. us, I just feel like, and Avraham still finding new things that nobody else has ever found. And it just mm -hmm. is amazing to me um, how, how he could write like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, so many fun, interesting parallels and connections and themes. Like one thing that he said today, sorry, this is kind of off topic, but like, he threw out um, the fact that Joseph Smith uh, offered up a lamb sacrifice at the Kirtland Temple dedication. I was like, what? Who? What? <laughs> you can't just throw that out there. I didn't know that. I wasn't prepared for that. I <laughs> shot my finger because I got distracted at work today. And I was like, what? That's <laughs> crazy. What did anyway. he mean by that? I don't know what that meant. Exactly. Like he just threw it out. It's kind of like a random little tidbit of information i was like what the the whole thing was about um uh how the the old law and the new law and uh, how all things get restored at the end times or whatever and and just this little random tidbit oh yeah and joseph smith sacrificed a lamb at the kirtland dedication kind of thing to do to do and didn't really explain it super well and i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna have to go through the show notes and, and look at the reference <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you've, if you've never heard of the dream of the woman Zion, it is a must read. Holy cow. It by far one of my favorite things I've never heard of. I listened to that today too. It was, it was crazy. Anyway, sorry. I'm a, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Where did that come from? The dream of the woman's that you can't just throw that out there either. Yeah. Like, oh I know. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to shoot our fingers if you don't tell us. <laughs> well, like, um, so the first one, he goes through visions of glory with Spencer's vision. And then the second oh. one, he. Um, the first goes one, sorry, sorry, sorry. I chime out for a second. Um, the first one, um, context is not my strong suit. The first oh, one, sorry. do you mean one of the 24 things that you're yeah. that you yes. purchased? And so is there like a link for that so we know how to get that to? Uh, yeah, I can post a link for it. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. We might ought to do just a separate book club on on those yeah. things that he talks about. Because there's That's so much idea. stuff. I'm like, oh, gosh, I need to talk with people about this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the first one, he goes through Spencer's Visions of Glory. The second one, he goes through that stake president. What's his name again? We were just talking about it in class. Um, anyway, that that stake president in Utah that's seen visions and stuff. It, it's in Visions of Glory in in the end there, and then um, this third one uh, he started talking about the vision of the woman of Zion, uh, or daughter of Zion. Amazing, crazy, interesting thing that that happened in a dream. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, I <laughs> it's kind of a tangent. I will. Uh, find that uh, just at the end here and, and post the, the link to those so that you can enjoy those as well. <laughs> it's one of the okay, best. Okay, you're going to move on. I can sense you moving on still and I'm still pausing you. I'm sorry. And if anybody else 
wants to raise your hand as a rebuttal and get back onto Isaiah, that's fine. Please do so now. Speak now or forever hold your peace. No, I'm wondering, are these books that you read of his, are they audios? Are they YouTube? They're, they're audios. They're audios. Okay. Yeah, it's a 24-week class on so, um, specifically on near-death experiences, et cetera, and how they relate to the book of Isaiah. So on the website, it says dreams, visions, and NDEs. Is that it? Yep. Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. so it's on his website. I thought this right. was something and you purchased. Okay. And it's in it, it's under store. Uh, There's yeah, a so special, is, $45. It's a $45 class of 24 things that you can download. Oh, I saw that. I had that pulled up and I'm like, I'm not going to listen to that. And I just got rid of the link, but you're saying it was really good, huh? Um, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't expecting it to be like all that, you know, like, okay, near death experiences, I, I'm half in, but like, listening to, to how it applies to Isaiah and, and some of the connections, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the best $45 I've ever spent. <laughs> yeah, it's 48 hours plus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And why? Where's the teaser? That's the whole teaser. That's like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. <laughs> You're not promoting it, but go out and buy it. Okay. But why? No, no, the Where? teaser is, the teaser is, and Joseph sacrificed a lamb at the de temple dedication. <laughs> he started there. He totally did. And then he moved into the daughter of Zion stuff and was like, boom, if you've never heard that before, do that. But he never said anything else about it. Just that, like, what's the one takeaway? What's the one takeaway? Or I don't know. We can move on to yeah like i have all of my little notes that i took today on my phone as i was trying to listen and work and stuff there there's so much in there where um like the visions and and dreams and near-death experiences like they, they happen in wildly different ways for different people um but the the main takeaway is we can experience and and many of us are the same things that prophets of old experienced, and and it all relates back to Isaiah's ladder uh, that we studied in uh, uh, last semester, whatever you want to call it, where we um, wherever we're at on the this ladder to heaven, we'll start recognizing the people above us helping us rise, and as we do, we start getting some of these blessings as we push past the ruin and rebirth phase and, and start renewing and keeping sacred covenants and helping others do the same uh, on both sides of the veil that we start getting these glimpses these visions and and they'll always go back to scripture and isaiah is the the main body or corpus of scripture that that testifies of all truth yes we have john in revelation that is permitted to write about one section of the the end times and he's the only one that can write about it but isaiah gets the the great scope of everything i mean it is the pattern of, of all of it and all of these uh dreams visions near-death experiences are testimonies to it and that's how you can judge and discern if they're true is do they fit in with isaiah that's the main key and so he goes through each one and tells you the things, how this fits in and how this doesn't fit in, how to discern, how to interpret your own dreams and, and stuff like that. You know? <laughs> sorry, <laughs> kind of went on a, a long tangent there. I'm, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> I shouldn't have never, I shouldn't bring up teasers. Then it, it... No, 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 no. The spirit, let, we don't, there are no accidents in the world. That's my personal opinion. The Lord uses all things for our good. So thank you. Yeah, yeah we're, we're all studying Isaiah. It fits in, I guess. <laughs> what is it? Happy little accidents to quote a famous <laughs> painter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I've said this before, but when they set apart Russia, uh, President Browning and I think it was uh, Elder Nelson at the time, he said, uh, nothing sp spiritual in life is a coincidence. Yeah. I think President Kimball said that too. There are no coincidences in life. Mm -hmm. You know, everything happens. How it's so Cameron, be nice to you. Be nice to you. <laughs> okay. Well, I just want to make sure that we all enjoy our book club and that we kind of stay focused, but you know, it, it never happens. I always hijack everything. So <laughs> I, I'm trying to be nice, but I, I want to make sure that, you know, anyway, because <laughs> I, I, I've attended some other Isaiah book clubs and they're not so much like it just kind of gets too off track and it gets wild. And so I, I want to make sure that this one is, is awesome. <laughs> Not that, anyway, yeah, you see what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, it has been a fun ride this hour. I, I hope that we all get the, the, the ruin and rebirth theme as we are proceeding forward. Next week, Ahaz is an amazing story. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to, to go and read it in the scriptures, uh, look it up on Wikipedia, get the, the Cliff Notes version if you have to, um, get familiar with the, the story of Ahaz. And then in your reading of Isaiah this week, it will unlock new vistas into what this rebellion and compliance looks like and, and how we can implement this moving forward in this end time scenario that we are living um it's huge uh, we're we're realizing the things that have been prophesied for years millennia this, it's all coming to a head right now and and it's so important to, to understand these principles and get this all understood one major thing that avraham keeps talking about not just in that class but in lots of different ones he's like when you embark to study isaiah hold off for a couple of years before you start teaching it to other people so that you don't start teaching wrong interpretations, etc. because Isaiah is so dense and, and um, rich in symbolism, etc. You could do it a disservice by, by teaching it um, too, too eagerly kind of thing. And so I, you know, I, I try to rein back from that as well. But if we're immersed in the scriptures, if we're having good group discussions, that we can start unlocking these principles and, and fleshing out these, these weighty topics uh, because now is the time. Uh, we've got to understand some of these things uh, proceeding forward and, and how we take our position on the ladder and start advancing it to build God's kingdom here upon the earth and usher in the second coming. It's our work to do, as President Nelson said. It's, it's our task. We've been commissioned with it. Are we willing to, to rise and, and do this? Um, Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Any last comments? <laughs> Side tangents, we can go on for another hour. <laughs> Wait, I have a link. Let me put it in the chat. Yeah. 
All right, yeah, there's that link for those uh, those 24 classes there. Yep, Shamala, yep. that's then, for you. That's the that's the Daughters <laughs> of Zion. <laughs> yep, yeah, Daughters of Zion is in. Oh, this it's uh, not in this one. It's a different one. It is um, number seven of the uh, of that course is the okay. the dream of the daughter of Zion. Okay. But be be prepared because that episode is wild. <laughs> it, it talks about all of the the like Glenn Pace memo and all of that kind of stuff that that we're dealing with in America. So anyway, it's it's some weighty topics, but be, be prepared for a ride. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been great and fun and engaging. <laughs> we will see everyone next week with, with Ahaz. Thank you, thank you everyone. Night. Night.